Are you looking for answers to life's biggest questions? The Center for Faith and Culture at the University of St. Thomas in Houston now offers its MA in Faith and Culture online. This program transforms students by immersing them in the Catholic tradition so that you can go out into the dominant American culture and leaven it with the good news. For more information, Google Center for Faith and Culture, UST. That's Center for Faith and Culture, UST. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with American Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're talking about a surprise visit that Pope Benedict made to Germany. Then, since it's our last regular episode before our summer hiatus, we'll talk about what Vatican stories we're keeping our eyes on this summer and what Pope Francis does on vacation. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from a hot and humid Rome, Colleen. Oh, it's the same here. How's uh, how's the reopening going? We just got to phase two in New York, so people are eating on the sidewalks. Well, everything is now open in Italy. Mm-hmm. So the, the total lockdown has ended. And yesterday, the figures right across the country were very good. We have a total of 23 deaths now. Any death is, of course, sad, but 23 in comparison with what we were having way back is the lowest we've had since the beginning of March. So this good news, but it's everybody realizes it's, it's going to be a struggle. And uh, the big question is employment. Can people get jobs? Can employers keep on uh, the employees? Uh, will people be able to make enough money to uh, live through this? Right. We'll have a little bit more on uh, how this is affecting Italy in particular and how the church is trying to respond to it uh, in the second half of our show today. But first up, on Thursday, June the 18th, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI traveled to Germany to visit his brother, who is sick. And um, this was really seen as his farewell visit with his brother, Georg. So, Jerry, just for some background on this, I think Benedict comes from a really close-knit family, right? Can you tell me about that? Yeah, the the Benedict family was mother, father, two boys, one girl. There was Benedict uh, called Joseph and his brother Georg and the sister Maria. They grew up very close and grew up in Bavaria where there's a very strong family tradition, but but they they were remained very close throughout. The two brothers uh, were ordained at the same time in ordained priest 1951. So this is a very close-knit family. And the sister, she never got married. And she took care of Joseph. He came to Rome when he was in, 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 in first of all, his professor, but then when he came to Rome, she came with him and she cared for him. And then she died at the age of, I think, 69. And it really had a big, big impact on, on Joseph. And, uh, he had uh, something like a little stroke not long afterwards, which affected the sight of one eye. So it really stunned, I would say, most people in Rome when we heard that Benedict, now 93 years old, almost in a wheelchair most of the time, decided he was going to Germany to what we were told was the, looked like the last days of his brother. And Joseph Ratzinger has written many learned books. And uh, he will go down in churches as one of the great uh, theologians of the century. But 
only a tiny percentage of people will have read these books. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he went, got on a plane at the age of 93, in a very frail condition, to go and visit his his brother, 96-year-old in, in, in Regensburg, who was really on his last legs, I think that reached the hearts of people. Mm-hmm. And I've heard many people saying, what great humanity this man had. He may be a great intellect, but we see the great humanity of a man. Yeah, I mean, that gets at something that we talk about a lot on this show, which is just the effectiveness of of gestures uh, more than words. You know, it's really the gestures that people see that, that speak to people's hearts. Um, you mentioned that Benedict is in kind of frail condition. Um, and, you know... Of course, with everything that Benedict does, there ends up being a lot of speculation about his health. There ends up being, you know, people trying to interpret things in different, you know, ways that fit their political agendas or whatever. Um, And one thing that I heard come up was, you know, some speculation that he was going to stay in Germany uh, for the foreseeable future. So some people were surprised that he came back to the Vatican after only a couple of days. Um, Do we do we know why he decided to come back? We don't yet know the full story. When he went, uh, many people in the Vatican were surprised. Uh, Remember, this is a man who can hardly speak. Last September, uh, the Bavarian television, they wanted to do a documentary on him, very positive one, and they interviewed him for almost half an hour, but I I don't think they used even a minute of the conversation. It it just wasn't intelligible. Uh, Georg uh, Ganschwein, Archbishop Ganschwein, uh, kind of can understand what he's saying, but uh, so th- this man is now at this age, while his mind is lucid, he's really very dependent on other people. Right. He even traveled to the airport in, in an ambulance for this trip. Well, yes, because he cannot get into a car. Everybody in the Vatican was a little surprised when we heard on Sunday evening that he was coming back on Monday. So people said, well, does this mean the brother was not so bad in his health because people had expected him to if the brother was really on death's door that he would have stayed for the end so we don't yet know the story Uh, some news agencies are tapped in more to the benedict circle so i presume they will run stories in the near future so so during the trip benedict celebrated mass with his brother every day and he visited with him a few times a day um he also visited the the graves of his parents and his sister maria yes and this this was very important to him because when he went as pope as well he visited the parents grave and his sister maria he went also to the house which he owned when he was became was elected pope which had been his as professor when he became pope at a certain point he gave over the house to uh, a kind of a Ratzinger Foundation uh, where his books and such like are kept now. And he went there and he spent 45 minutes at this house, but it was some of the time in the garden. There's a little garden attached to the house. And uh, he seemed, they said, very cheered by this. And then on the Saturday, he said Mass again, visited the brother a couple of times, said Mass on Sunday, visited the brother as well. And then it seems on Monday, before leaving, he also visited the brother. Now, remember, the brother can talk, but he can't really see. Benedict can say something, his mind is very clear, and I think he hears with the aid of hearing aid. 
so you have this situation but you know it's the physical closeness the, the, I think it's very moving, and people were really struck by this gesture of humanity we mentioned earlier. Right. Travel is is so difficult right now, and a, a three-day whirlwind trip is exhausting for anyone, but you know, even more so for someone in Benedict's condition. So the fact that he did this really, really speaks volumes. Yes, it's perhaps one of the books that's most eloquent, this gesture. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the Diocese of Regensburg asked for privacy around this trip, as it might be the last time that the brothers see each other. So there aren't too, too many more details. Um, but if you'd like to read a little bit more, I will link to America's articles on Benedict's visit to his brother in the show notes. And of course, you know, Jerry and I will be keeping Benedict and his family in our prayers. Jerry, uh, this is our last episode together before we go on our summer hiatus. So we wanted to take some time today to talk about what Vatican stories we're going to have our eyes on this summer. Um, first things first, you know, even though we talk about the Pope going on vacation in quotes for the summer, it, it really isn't a vacation, right? Francis is, is pretty famous for never taking a holiday. Um, so I was wondering if you could explain for our listeners, how, how does he spend his summer? Well, I think it's since 1975, 1976, he hasn't gone on holiday. Right. What he does is he, he, he goes into what he calls relax mood, where he takes, uh, he doesn't have the uh, public audiences. So we're talking roughly about from the 15th of July until the 15th of August. And what does relax mode mean? Basically, he takes more time. He, he doesn't have these public audiences. He meets friends. He meets people, other people. He he takes hmm. time to read. He's a great reader. He reads every night before he goes to sleep. But uh, he people give him a lot of books. But he, he chooses which ones he wants to read during the summer. And he l- likes listening to music. What, what kind of music does he like? Well, from when he was a child, his mother would have him... Uh, uh, listening to opera. So the, all the whole family would sit around the table on a Sunday and listen to opera. And then, of course, he he loves classical music. Uh, he loves, of course, all the Argentine music linked to the tango and such like. And he, he, he likes especially also Domenico Zippoli, who was an Italian Jesuit at the end of the 1600s, the beginning of the 1700s. He was a composer. He went to Argentina. And then he, he went to the, the, worked with the Guarani in Paraguay, near where the missions were. And he, he, he's done some beautiful music, and it's, it's really recognized. And a book came out recently, published by the Vatican, which brought together some of this. So Francis likes the music, and he, he enjoys it, and he relaxes. And so, so reading, meeting friends, uh, relax. And I, he usually he takes, uh, he makes a little visit to one shrine or maybe to a convent or something, he, he would probably go out of Rome a few times or go to visit some people. Yeah, he actually mentioned um, that he wanted to visit Lombardy, right? Yeah. When he met last Saturday in the first public audience since the lockdown, that's since the beginning of March, he met the doctors and nurses and some of the uh, political uh, officials, the, the government officials from the region of Lombardy, which is been the worst hit uh, of, of all the Italian regions. Has, uh, we, it's called here the Wuhan of Italy. And uh, 
he's promised, uh, they, they said, we'd like you to come. And he said, I will come and I will visit the most hit places in this. So I suspect this will be in the autumn because I don't think it's possible right now. Mm-hmm. I, I would also, also not be surprised if he visited some people who maybe the hospital or something. He, he does these surprise things that uh, one doesn't expect. And maybe, maybe, maybe he'll write something. We don't know because he, he, he writes quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, We did an episode last year entitled, What Does the Pope Do on Vacation?, where we go into a little more depth about all of this, so I'll be sure to link to that in our show notes. Um, Now, obviously, you know, the summer is is a very different one. Like you mentioned, you know, the coronavirus pandemic is not over. And even though, you know, the the people are on holiday in the Vatican, uh, there's not as much work going on, there is still a lot of work going on in the Vatican in response to the pandemic. Uh, we've talked about that kind of diplomatic and humanitarian work that that they're trying to do to make sure that the poor aren't left behind as, as the world seeks to move forward from this. Um, what do you have your eyes on for the Vatican's coronavirus work? Well, you know, that the poor are not left behind. The reality is the concept of poor is getting bigger and bigger. Because with this pandemic, the number of poor people has suddenly exploded. And we see people, and the Pope, this is where the Pope is really concentrating. He's saying, you know, if a father of the family or a mother of a family cannot earn money to put food on the table, we have a crisis. And he sees that with the end of the lockdown, but with the fact that, for example, in Rome, as I said to you, we have so many people, so many businesses, which can't really start. It, uh, I think it was the week before, I mentioned that on the street up to St. Pete, Peter's, the Via della Conciliazione, practically everything is closed. The shops, the bars, and the, st- the stalls that were, you know, selling uh, pious objects, pictures of the popes, statues, all kinds of things. You don't see one of them on the street, Colleen. Not one today. And the bars closed. I, I remember two weeks ago, I went to the Vatican Museums, and I wanted to get a coffee. It was all closed, nothing. That's crazy. There are so many coffee places along that street. Yes, but the point is, the Pope Francis is very concerned about the economic consequences of this pandemic and its impact on the economy, on the lives of people. And he has said several times, we're not going to go back to the world we were in. The question is, have we learned the lesson so that the world we're building will not leave people behind? Right. And the way he's been doing this has been, you know, he's particularly been been urging bishops to to work with governments in their areas to make sure that the workers who are, you know, in what you call the informal sector, what I'd call the gig economy, um, to make sure that they're cared for and taken care of when they don't really have much of a social safety net or benefits from their jobs. So it's going to depend a lot on on how the situation develops. Um, but for sure, we know that this this COVID-19 task force in the Vatican is set to be around for at least a year um, working on the Vatican's response. So we'll keep you up to date on what's happening with that. Yes, and stand by in case the Pope decides to uh, make some surprising gesture. Um, finally, it's been about two years since we first learned that former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick had been sexually abusing minors. This was, if you remember, just one of the news stories from what's been called the Summer of Shame, summer 2018, when we had the McCarrick revelations, we had the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, and then we had 
the Vigano letter claiming that the McCarrick cover-up went to the highest levels of the church. Um, we talked a little about this last week, but the Vatican has been working on its report on who knew what at what point about McCarrick. Um, Jerry, is there still a chance that that'll come out this summer? I think there is. No, no, nobody has got a definite date yet for it. As the, but uh, the, the aim was to get it out in the summer. Uh, whether that actually happens. Remember, this will be a document that will also need to be translated into other languages. Uh, so the, the, that always slows down the operation. So I, I think that that could be a factor. But the expectation is that by the time we connect again in September, uh, this should have been seen the light of day. Right. Now, if that report does come out during our summer hiatus, we will, of course, post a special update and some analysis of that report in your podcast feed for our listeners. So stay tuned for that. Now, while Jerry and I won't be posting our usual weekly conversations this summer, we and our production team are going to be hard at work developing the next season of our show. And we want to hear from you about what that season should look like. So please take our listener survey, which I'm linking to in the show notes, and tell us what you'd like to hear about on Inside the Vatican. That's our listener survey. It's linked in the show notes. We'll also be rounding out this season of Inside the Vatican with a special interview episode next week with the scholar of women deacons, Phyllis Zagano, who's going to be talking about the Vatican's two commissions on the female diaconate, the first of which she sat on. We'll also be in your podcast feeds this summer with a special deep dive explainer episode around the end of July. So stay tuned for all of that here on Inside the Vatican. All right, Jerry, and I think that does it for you and me for this season. Um, it's It's been a pleasure doing another year of this show with you. And I just, I want you to know how much I appreciate getting to talk with, you know, one of the most experienced veteran Vatican reporters in the world every week. I feel really lucky. Well, I enjoy being with you, Colleen, and I enjoy your questions, which are the ones that many, many people ask and don't often get answered. So I look forward to another season and uh, good wishes for your wedding. Our listeners don't know you're getting married on the 1st of (laughs) August. I am. Yeah, keep us in your prayers. Um, Getting married during a pandemic is a unique kind of stressful. Uh, So, you know, hopefully it'll all go pretty well. Um, All right, Jerry, thanks so much. I'll talk with you at the beginning of September. Thank you, Colleen. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I. You can also email us your questions at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. And please take our listener survey. It's linked in the show notes. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. <laughs>